towards the end of the film, Ethan gets and Sophie says, you need me like this is how he can despite his relationship. Why does the inverse not hold? Why couldn't Ethan say like, oh, do you want to me? And then if like the the character that is can bring with them. Well, at, at, but she also, she doesn't say, all right. <laughs> Uh-oh. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 310 with our review of The One I Love. I'm Christopher Schneezy. I'm Carson Patrick. And I'm Stephen Miller. If you're joining us for the first time, the uh, Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Uh, This week, again, we are hitting another, or last week we didn't do a VOD release, right? It was the week before that? I'm confused now. Um... It was like three I, weeks ago. Two weeks ago. I can't Anyways, remember what it, we usually, reviewed I, I feel last like week. Last week we did the Snowpiercer yeah. review. No, no, no. Last we did, week we was did what, what if. if last week. Yeah. What if? Yeah. Yeah. But it was Snowpiercer <laughs> before that. Yeah. The know. week before was Snowpiercer. Anyways, generally we are talking about things coming to a theater near you. This week, uh, like a few weeks ago, we are going to do a video on demand release. Uh, you can go out and rent this film now. It's available at least on iTunes. That's where I watched it. I'm assuming it's available on other channels as well, uh, but it's the one I love. Um, how are you guys doing this afternoon? I sweaty. guess it's still morning. I'm sweaty. You sweaty already? Yeah. I'm, I'm just so hot right now. I'm a little shaken up. Uh, la- last night there was an earthquake. A 6.1 earthquake actually hit the San Francisco area. So woke up at like 3 in the morning with heavy shaking. And I'm told by an unknown source that I was shouting, oh, God, oh, God, oh. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so, well, oh, in all fairness, you, you did also try to quit heroin last night. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a lot, yeah. a lot of things were at play Picked here. Picked a hell of a day to quit heroin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So did you, did you have any actual damage? Uh, no, I mean, things shook around quite a bit. Uh, ran outside briefly. Uh, <laughs> arms flailing <laughs> nothing nothing happened we even i even had like glasses precariously set next to ledges and they didn't fall oh that's yeah. good so but 6.1 is pretty heavy so yeah, you that's definitely pretty felt big. it yeah yeah that's that's definitely a, a a large one yeah the last large one we've like the really big one we had was a 7.4 right like several years back i think so well i think we just had one in, uh, like, L.A., and I think it was, like, a four or five. Yeah, because seven, I'm pretty sure at least, like, historically, 7.4 was a massive Yeah, massive that's pretty big. Yeah, that was the Northridge like, the quake, that quake that did all the bad San stuff. Francisco. No, yeah, that, yeah, the Northridge one was back in, like, 1990 or something, 91, I don't remember. Yeah. I wasn't None of us were living. alive back then. No. See, pe- pe- other people listening to this podcast who don't live in Southern California are like, dude whatever a little bit of shaking we got tornadoes and all sorts of stuff uh, <laughs> hurricanes and, and, and i think when you live here long enough you know you kind of 
uh, get used to it. But there's still, every once in a while, we get uh, a big one, not the big one that we're supposed to get eventually that's going to, like, uh, divide Carson and I from Steven. Um, <laughs> we're just going <laughs> to... We're just all going to die. <laughs> but I, I'm I'm going to do the snake bliskin thing and just, like, ride the channel between the divide and... Wait, well, you gonna the, you going to surf, like, the big tidal wave? Yeah, yeah. It'll like, be pretty Like, Escape awesome. from L.A.? Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm going to do. Uh, but... <laughs> But yeah, this this uh, you know outside of of Stephen's crazy shaking, this episode will be a little bit different than normal. Um, this film that we are about to review, the one I love, um, we're gonna review it without really telling you much about it at first, other than uh, what we thought of the film, um, because it is a film that uh, I think you guys would agree is best to be watched um, knowing zero information about it. I mean. Uh, you know, last week when we were talking about what we wanted to review this week, Carson was like, oh, yeah, this this movie came out. Uh, we could watch that. And like he said it in a very nonchalant way. And uh, I don't know about you, Stephen, but when I watched it, I hadn't read anything or seen a trailer. I, I knew absolutely nothing. And um, I did give a warning to like, don't read up on anything. Yeah, I suggested, true, true, true. I suggested don't don't like watch a trailer, or read up on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I, I think I think the, the tone you said it with was not um no it it, it, it was wasn't my, quite my selling bad. i wasn't yeah, wasn't very I, warning once i finished it i definitely felt like oh like the way i watched it was the perfect way to watch yeah. this film mm-hmm. um so yeah so we, we were gonna do that. i mean would you agree steven yeah definitely i think uh, i read a very small amount leading up to it like just the title of a couple reviews basically uh and it became very clear that there was a twist which would basically spoil the whole movie if you knew about it uh and that kept me from knowing anything else yeah so going going in i knew basically nothing other than duplass brothers had something to do with it and it had been compared to charlie kaufman yeah and and i and i was listening to the the fighting in the war room podcast and they had a little argument back and forth on on the episode that they talked about this film and they were saying like one of them was was basically saying like screw you this is the premise for the film it cannot be considered a spoiler uh, but mm. having seen the film myself as as you guys both have um i disagree with that statement <laughs> um yeah so it, it's not it's not like i i kind of agree with what he's saying as far as like it's not technically a spoiler because it is the premise of the film but i think there is a a sense of wonder watching the film not knowing what the film is about that you can't experience knowing what the film is about. Yeah, I mean, like, the mystery is sort of taken away if you know going in. Yeah. I mean, there are some people that argue that, oh, if you're that affected by any spoilers for a movie, you know, you, you know, you shouldn't be. But, I mean, I, I don't think so. Like, I think that, you know, it's always better to go in fresh uh, because, yeah, like, just ultimately... It'll be a more interesting experience. I think the synopsis, the synopsis on uh, iTunes movie rentals or whatever is probably the best synopsis to read because it's just like two sentences and it yeah, mostly it, just it, says like, it's a wickedly inventive romantic comedy or something. Yeah, that that's the aspect of, of this, of the, <laughs> I was getting ready to dump out as, as you were, as oh. you were, I thought you were going to read the whole thing, but no, the no, second no, half I'm of that saying, sentence, yeah, the no, second half of that like, sentence yeah. is perfect. Yeah, I'm just saying that, like, basically, that's all you need to know is that is is pr- pretty much on that synopsis. I think that's pretty much a good indication of that's all you need. 
Yeah, yeah, true. Um, so this is normally a part in the show where I'd say, hey, let's listen to the trailer, guys. And we listen to the trailer and come back and give you a review. But uh, I'm actually going to save the trailer for the beginning of Spoiler Territory, and um, which will come shortly in the next few minutes, because we're basically going to spend a few short moments talking about what we thought of this film and then let the rest of you either listen uh, through the spoiler section or leave, watch the film and come back to hear us discuss it. But um, And you should probably watch the film because I hope the spoiler section talks quite a bit about the very end of the movie. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, we, we naturally will have to. But um, yeah, so... Let's, I don't know, is this technically getting to the verdict already? <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, pretty wait, much. Wait, let, let's just go, let's just go around real fast. Um, Carson, why don't you start us off and let us know what you thought of this film? Um, I really love the movie uh, and I would definitely give it a must see. I, I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. There you go. Uh, all right. Uh, Steven. I'll, I'll try to say a tiny bit more without giving anything away. Um. <laughs> I think it was definitely refreshing to watch a film which had a interesting premise slash surprise, which it actually managed to commit to for the duration of the movie. Uh, it really did a good job of keeping this kind of zany, Spike Jonesy, Charlie Kaufman attitude in place where it's it's all in good fun, but you never know what's going to happen and have a feeling that it could go to very interesting what the hell is going on places. Yeah. Um, I do think if I were to compare it to my favorite of those films, it would fall a little short in the degree to which it really explored the premise, but that's only grading on like the high, high curve that some of my favorite movies have set. I mean, by all, by any metric, this is a must see movie to me. Um, I think the film really like, lives and dies on its premise and the places that it takes you to like the script was loose and the acting was good but i don't think it was really the point um pretty much in order to know whether you like the movie or not you need to know how the how the thing that we are trying not to talk about <laughs> impacts you yeah um but yeah i i think must see there it's been a while since i've seen a movie that really had this this level of surprise to it yeah so, uh, for me, uh, you know, when, when Steve, I, I, you know, I mentioned that Steve, uh, not Steven, uh, that Carson had nonchalantly kind of said like, oh yeah, this movie's out on VOD. I just watched it. It's pretty good. You could, we could watch that. Yeah, <laughs> um, he, you know. he, he, he's so far undersold this movie in that moment. <laughs> hey, um, you know, there you go. It was more of a surprise. <laughs> no, it wasn't inc- like, like, uh, like usually, usually, uh, Carson will see a film and then he'll he'll either text both Steven and I or text me directly and be like, I just saw this film. This is like the most Chris movie I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> and he somehow did not include that question because I think this film is brilliant. <laughs> uh, aside from Boyhood, this is the my favorite thing I've seen all year. Um, is this this wow. is uh, also uh, starring Mark Duplass from Safety Not Guaranteed. So yeah. there you go. <laughs> yes, which was another of my favorite films of that year. Um, He's really good at starring in movies where I feel like he is not the reason I like them. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, it, this this is uh, like I I am not one to avoid trailers at all. I am I am the type of person who's like no, like basically like I was saying the argument from the fighting in the war room pro- podcast. I was like, you know, usually you know, like the the trailer is selling me on the idea of the film 
and the idea of the film is what is making me want to watch it. So even though there are things, I'll watch a trailer and I'll be like, oh, well, that was the last shot of the movie, or that's how they beat the bad guy right there in that scene. You know, that that stuff kind of doesn't bother me because it's all about the journey. In this film, it's not completely about the journey. It's about the pieces that are given to you in the order they're given to you and um, just how you feel about what you're watching as it progresses. Um, And I don't know, I I think this is... um, you know, there, there, there are comments that Stephen made in text to both Carson and I when we were joking around about this review and how we were going to actually handle it. And I can't get to them now because, you know, we're not in spoiler territory yet. But uh, he jokingly had a reaction from me, which uh, actually turns out to be true. <laughs> um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to give that up at the time. I was like, ah, I'm just gonna bite my tongue and not not uh, respond to this in in that way. But literally, like he he put up a fake quote from me, which is literally the exact words. <laughs> I, I, I believed spoken. it would be how you felt. <laughs> uh, dead on. Um, yeah, I I like I, I I've watched this twice this week. Um, I watched it once, you know, obviously at the beginning of the week because we were getting ready to review it, and then I watched it again later on this week um, when I I, you know, I pulled my roommate aside and I was like, hey, I'm going to watch this movie, um, but the catch is I'm not going to tell you anything about it. You just have to decide if you want to watch it or not. <laughs> and uh, my other roommate came home while we were watching it, and he told me after we were done watching the movie, he's like, I walked in and I was like, why are you two sitting in the living room watching a chick flick? <laughs> it was... It was it was kind of hilarious, uh, his response to it. But um, yeah, yeah you that, don't even know, man. <laughs> That's what you should have said. No, like I like I, I genuinely love the crap out of this movie. And um, I, 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 I mean, spoilers for our end of the year recap. It, it's possible <laughs> that, that this could end up in that, <laughs> which um, that statement alone, I'm sure will get us some good, interesting conversation coming up in spoiler territory. But uh yeah obviously this is a must-see film for me also um this is definitely a a blind rent i mean just go to itunes right now and uh and rent it because what i what i told my roommate is is um on the off chance that you don't like this film you will appreciate it and i think um that's yeah If, if you're not like wired exactly like i am to be sort of obsessed with this movie you can definitely at least appreciate uh, the, the, basically what it's doing and what it's done. So, well, I mean, definitely, even if for some reason someone didn't like it, it's still like going to strike a conversation amongst yeah. this person. Um, and I think, uh, I don't know what the Rotten Tomatoes rating is, but I know it's really high. So it, it, it's high, but varied. It, it was in like, like low 80s or something. Oh, it was. I, I thought it was like had a 97. Kind of visceral, visceral mm. reaction against it. I know. I know <laughs> or, when it played. I know when it played at Sundance this year, it got like rave reviews. So at least most of the like internet people that I you know follow and stuff like Slash Film and they they really enjoyed the crap out of it. So put put it this way, I I love this film enough that I wish I would have discovered it on my own and that it wasn't a <laughs> recommend from Carson. 
<laughs> oh dear. Well, he, Chris was just shocked that it wasn't a guy getting sewn into a walrus suit or something. <laughs> Holy shit! They're exactly. Not, there's not I, any I like cocainey vibes in this. I will say though, in in the in the trailer for Tusk, that uh, <laughs> that walrus sound that's constantly playing in the background of the trailer. <laughs> is frightening as hell. Oh, it's very frightening. <laughs> that's why. <laughs> that's why I could imagine just like a Joe Blow moviegoer sitting in the theater, and that trailer comes on. They're like, "What the hell?" Like, I don't, I don't know what to think. All uh, I know is that, that if this podcast takes off and some guy in Canada invites me up to interview him, I'm going to turn him down. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Stephen um, and I would have to come looking for you. <laughs> uh, All right, guys, um, you ready to get into to the real goodness of this episode that we're going to be talking about? Alrighty, yeah, I think so. Okay, well, for all you people who are listening, we we all just said this is a must see, so go out and you must now go see it. Um, if you are planning on listening to our spoiler section, um, it like. Don't listen to this if you haven't seen the film yet, unless you know for sure you're not going to go see it, then I guess you can listen to it. But I, I just, I urge you to go check out this movie and then come back and um, we'll have some, what it, what, it, what will hopefully um, be very interesting conversation moving forward. Um, so um, I guess I'm going to fade up music now and then... Can, you know, can we fade it. out with some Abbott and Costello riff about, did you see that movie, The One I Love? Which one? You know, the one I love. <laughs> Wait, you mean the other? No, not the other. I feel like we could do something good there. We'll, we'll think about it. We'll think about uh, it. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I, I'm not going to add that in post. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but anyways, you know, we don't even need to fade out music. We are just going to go right now. This is officially spoiler territory. And instead of a music buffer to separate the two parts, we are now going to play the trailer for the one I love. Um, so you can listen and enjoy that. And when we come back, once again, full-on spoilers. This is your warning. From this moment on, spoiler territory. So watch out. So since we're just kind of like dipping our toes in here, I think maybe we shouldn't spend too much time in there the first go-around. Okay. How's a 15-minute sound? Yeah, I think that's good. Hello? Whoa. Fascinating. Tell me. you sound right now? It's so weird. It's it? really odd. It's like a perfect retreat. Just the two of you. I've sent a lot of couples there and they've all come back renewed. Is it another dimension when you go through the door? You want to go back. This is something that we've been talking about, creating a new relationship. I imagine like horseback riding with a little satchel of wine, you know? Not some weird version of Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. We'll make up some ground rules. Okay, no spying. We'll be honest with each other about what happens in the house. Nope. It's like an exercise in trust. Sophie? You're kidding me. Sophie, open the door. Okay, Ethan. see this playing out i'm not leaving this entire weekend has been one planned trap cheers cheers to a perfect weekend together 
We also had a fantastic time when we did ecstasy. But we're not going to do that every day of our lives because you die. Right. Okay, so we just listened to the trailer for The One I Love. Basically, a couple is, a married couple is in therapy, and they go off for this uh, weekend away at this uh, piece of land that is supposed to, you know, make everything better between them. They get there. And, uh, you know, they're having a good time, but they discover something very mysterious about the guest house. Every time one of them goes into the guest house, they encounter a, uh, we'll just say a mirror copy of, of the person on the outside with, with, you know, little, uh, little differences in the personality, maybe that person. And this couple, uh, begin to interact over the weekend with these copies of each other in this house. And, uh, it may or may not affect, I don't know why I'm like, oh. (laughs) <laughs> trying to avoid spoilers now uh, yeah. basically this film is about this couple interacting with copies of themselves in this weird uh quirky version of a romantic comedy and uh yeah do you guys want to go kind of um through before we get into like fully into the the different subjects in the film do you guys want to kind of go around again real fast talk about what we liked about the film in more of a general way and uh yeah just free from spoilers now Okay. Uh, well, I, uh, like I said, I really love the movie. And I think that uh, starting with the performances, I think that Mark Duplass and Elizabeth Moss have a uh, really good chemistry in the film. And uh, that's always good. Um, and for I, a romantic comedy ish film, yeah, that's probably a good idea. <laughs> it's probably a good idea for your two leads to have some chemistry, yeah. Um, but I, I really think Mark Duplass is like an underrated. Like actor, I mean, he always pops up in like these indie movies or like bigger movies as a supporting guy, and uh, he's just good at playing like a an everyday guy. Um, and I think that uh, he, his character is is really uh, is really good in the film. I just I just thought that uh, he had he did a really good job, and Elizabeth Moss, you know, does a good job too. And um, but I, obviously, the star of this movie is the script and. It's very inventive, like iTunes synopsis said. Um, it, it it does take on a very sort of Charlie Kaufman-esque vibe. I mean, I was trying to think of what it comes close to, and I guess I, it's sort of like a more low-rent version of Eternal Sunshine. I, I don't know. It's like or, or like being John Malkovich. Maybe. Right, right. It's even more like lo-fi, because um, it is. It's just it's essentially all taking place in one location and um you know they really get a lot of mileage out of it i mean it's a it's a very uh very scenery you know scenic looking location um that helps and it's sort of like it's sort of cool that there's this like weird sci-fi ish element happening in this you know very uh surreal looking place yeah uh and yeah, and the whole the whole conceit of it, where you know they can only go into this guest house uh, one at a time and see the other's copies. Like the, if they're both in it at the same time, you know they won't they won't see it. And like how they find out about it, and how the movie reveals, you know that oh, like there are these you know basically like better versions of themselves in this guest house. Um, it all comes about very naturally and very. Uh, very cool and like like you said or like we've said if you go into it fresh uh it definitely definitely helps because you're 
you know, you're sitting there wondering, like, I don't know where this is going, but like, I'm, you know, very intrigued by, you know, what's happening. And when it, when the layers start finally, you know, revealing themselves, it's a, it's really cool. Um, and you know, then we get like a lot of a really cool interaction between uh, the cl- the copies and you know the real characters. Yeah. And uh, that's all very well integrated, um, you know, since they're sharing the scenes together. And it's all very well done. Um, and I think, you know, the ending, uh, I-, I like the way that, that they ended it. And I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, what people thought or what we thought of that. But overall, it's just a very, it's a unique and it's a really creative film and uh i definitely think it deserves all the praise it can get yep steven yeah uh i feel the same i guess i can i i gave a little bit more of my opinion in the non-spoiler section hopefully comparing to charlie kaufman isn't enough to ruin it for anyone um (laughs) i felt like i had to give at least something by way of why i liked it yeah um anyway i definitely so I'm I'm gonna color all this by saying that I already gave it a must see. So whatever I say here, pro or con, is going to be like nitpicky. What I could have wanted from it. And all Basically, around, you're, I, you're just trying to balance out my love for the film with it, some it, rational exactly. uh, experience. <laughs> well, because, for instance, I would be surprised, though not completely shocked, if this made my end of the year list. Um, so so anyway, I I loved what it was going for. I think like I I had kind of after watching the trailer and thought about the name the one I love predicted what is going to happen in this place. Um I I had an idea of it at least. So I wasn't a complete shock to me when I saw it occur for the first time. Okay. Uh, but still there's this kind of magic to it that I thought was just really wonderfully done of the first time she walks into the guest house and sees him and there's this feeling of like it's a creepy premise that could have easily been pushed into like really disturbing territory um, <laughs> yeah and they don't take it that way like I-, I think especially the the moment when he wakes up in the morning and sees his like stepford wifey version of elizabeth moss making him breakfast yeah that could have been played as a seriously disturbing scene uh, i mean that could have really set the tone for the rest of the movie but they don't go there instead they decide like let's consider this as if it were therapy let's try to understand what's happening here and i love i, I think the fact that they chose to analyze it that way where the characters come to grips with what is happening early on and then decide to roll with it yeah was very much in the vein of like a being john malkovich or something where the director just goes like you know, screw it. We're gonna go all in. Let's just see how far we can peel back this uh, this narrative. Yeah, it wasn't uh, like they spent half the movie trying to convince each other. Oh no, this is really happening or something. Yeah, they yeah. they embraced the mystery very quickly, and I think the the idea of being able to, you know, having this conceit where one can enter the guest house and the other can't be in there at the same time was really great for setting up good conversation and. Uh, exploring kind of how the characters feel about each other Uh, one of my favorite things about it which i would argue maybe they nullify later on um is that their perfect versions of each other are so radically different um 
what are, what are the character names in this movie? I'm going to keep calling them by the actors instead. Uh, Sophie. Sophie and Sophie something, and, yeah. Sophie and Ethan. Ethan, yeah. 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 So, Sophie's perfect version of Ethan is basically the current Ethan, but more friendly, more uh, more self-aware and willing to accept when he is wrong about something. Uh, a little more more loving and more outgoing, but all around like a very fully formed character uh, with his own personality. And then Ethan's perfect version of Sophie is this like stilted Stepford wifey, submissive <laughs> per- person that has really nothing to say except for smile and agree with him and make him bacon. Um, See, and- what's what's interesting is I'm gonna disagree with that. Um... Oh, oh but, no, so but, what, but, what I'm going to say, finish. Yeah. what I'm going to say is when I saw, when she was first introduced and you see him uh, interacting with her, this is the sense you get of that version of Sophie. And I thought that was a, uh, a really interesting commentary on what they want out of each other. And like, she wants a fully formed human being and he just wants someone to agree with him on everything. But then by the end of the movie, they have undone that because it's clear that the reason she was behaving the way she was is because she is a real person who loves someone else and she's upset and she's just trying to cause division among them whereas the real reason the other ethan is so fully formed is because he actually has fallen in love with the real sophie um so anyway that that was a twist that while i thought it was interesting it actually took away from part of what i thought was a very funny component of the movie, which is how much more uh, more rich Sophie's fantasy was than Ethan's fantasy, um, and, and just in general. So we we can talk about that. I'm sure Chris has plenty to disagree with there. Uh, <laughs> but in general, what I'll say is I think the movie was at its best when the characters had accepted the mystery and were starting to unpack like who are these people, what do they represent, and Sophie is falling in love with the mystery Ethan and they're suspecting each other. I think when it started to peel back and show you how things work underneath, like the moment when the four of them actually sit together at a party and start discussing what is going on. And from there, the movie really tells you like, these are the rules. This is what happened. This is what's going to happen. In my mind, it lost a little more steam than it could have gained if it had just kept rolling with the mystery um I don't, and, and part of that is my desire for a cohesive explainable storyline which my joke to chris was that this does not necessarily have that though he might he might be able to argue it so any, anyway <laughs> I, I i thought it was really well done and it reached some good peaks i feel like the peaks were at the highest before it tried to be a sci-fi with actual rules that it's established i liked it more when it was a premise that you just have to commit to and not worry about why it is happening i i still don't think they like fully explain what's happening i think i still think that there's some mysterious quality going on well here's here's also the thing here's the thing though is um this this is a conversation i had with my roommate too is that um the film may not completely explore um the 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 complete truth behind what is happening um but the thing is no character on screen 
that we ever see, except for the therapist, really knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. The 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 people who are acting as like the doppelganger couple, they presumably the way I view it is what they know about the world they know through the experience of having gone there as one of the other couples originally. Um, so you know the, the basic premise as I see it is that um, the way that the therapist is actually fixing couples is by replacing them with couples who fix themselves by uncoupling whatever couple is present at that because moment because true love is rooted in destroying another relationship <laughs> <laughs> one person could say it that way um but basically that like you know you go to the house and the couple that comes back that's this per- perfect couple is the couple that's been trapped there long enough to figure out that all the problems they have aren't really important in any way uh the the decoupling of the other couple is the thing that gets you past the fantasy and i, and I consider this a fantasy film not a sci-fi film um which is not a huge distinction distinction yeah, no, but i would agree with that yeah i i think that there is there is it, it, there's clearly a magic happening not a yeah. um a a like well, I almost said a film that would have been a spoiler for that film, but it, I, I don't think there's any sort of technological thing that is happening to allow this to happen. It's it's clearly to me some sort of, of magic force that is acting on these people. And um, uh, what was I responding to? I just lost my train of thought. <laughs> I, I felt that it depends if you wanted to get into specifics now or not. Uh, in general, I was saying that I felt the movie was at its strongest before it tried to, and I won't say it was explaining the rules of the world, but okay, by uh, by like two thirds of the way through the film, if it had ended, no one would be saying, okay, what were the rules? How did that work? How did it happen? Yeah. And by the end of the film, you are in a place where you are, you feel at least like you should understand what has taken place and what were the previous couple's objective how does this work like how does this kind of infinite infinite loop work itself out and does this really result in the perfect couple coming out at the end um and i felt and maybe chris is going to (laughs) prove me wrong with a very well thought out argument i felt that the details you are given are just enough to feel like this story doesn't make sense and you aren't given any more that could have maybe rectified it. So like I'm left with a bunch of competing things about why does, so she wants to stay because she loves the other, but the other version of her wants to stay. And yet at the end she decides to go with the real version of Ethan and why did it play out this way and why couldn't he go by himself and why is the real Ethan able to leave even if his relationship is not strong? I, I don't know. It, it it left me with the kind of questions that it wouldn't have had to leave me with if it had just committed more to using it as a device for examining the characters. Yeah. And I think as a premise to make cool interactions happen it worked really well as a premise that's supposed to have actual rules that you are following it felt like it either didn't give enough information or gave like contradictory information and which was a little more frustrating though of course it made me go back and watch different scenes again to try to understand what was happening yeah well Um, i I think and we we can get into this a little bit more later on but i mean i I think there are 
a few base sets of rules. And like I said, I don't think the characters themselves completely understand it, but I think it is logically consistent. Like e- even, um, you know, at the end of the, the, the scene where the, the couple have joined together to have their dinner and they're, you know, like basically all the shit is hitting the fan and things are getting crazy. Um, uh, doppelganger Ethan tells the actual couple like, hey, do you guys need to stay in the guest house tonight? That'll give you some time to, to, uh, you know, be able to, to take a breather and get your head right and everything. And like, he's, he's trying to lock them in the house at that point. Like he's already, his primary goal is to be able to leave. Um, he happens to be enjoying the company of real life Sophie. Um, but you can, you can see these seeds going for of, he know all he knows is that only two people can leave out of the four that are there. And at that moment in time, he's trying to pre-lock them in the house because, that's what he wants to do. Even if at that point in time he still wanted to leave with Sophie, if he could somehow get one of them back into the house and the other one out, he could still maybe leave with real Sophie. But I think the whole reason he can't leave on his own is because the couple has to leave as one group. Um, does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, I think the film is logically consistent in that standpoint. Um, but like I said, the no one... None of the cast members know more than we know from seeing it. They've just seen it twice instead of seeing it once. All they know is we need to break up that couple, then we can leave, or some subset. I, I think I think there's not even a, a truth to um, once the couple themselves are broken up that we can leave. I think there's two people can leave, two people can stay, uh, or st- two people are forced to stay, and whatever combination you can make to allow the two of them to leave together is what will work in the long run but the reason there has to be more than that is why okay so other ethan and other sophie can't leave the guest house until when when exactly like it it seems like they're saying that that has to do with the strength of the other's relationship yes is what allows them to leave the guest house yeah so basically when once once their connection is broken to a part of neutrality, then the two couples can float in between. And then okay. once some remaining couple begins to progress past neutrality, then the system of the doors locking and trapping the other couple in that guest house start to take effect. Okay, so, at, but at, so, so the strength of their relationship only affects the doors of the guest house, not the ability to leave the premises. Leaving the premises you're saying you think fake Sophie and fake Ethan could have left the premises the moment they were able to leave the guest house. I think those two things are, are interconnected. So if, if real Ethan and real Sophie would have gone to the guest house that night after the poker game, and he would have said, Hey, why don't you go sleep in the guest house? And then, you know, in the morning, we'll talk about it again. I think they could have left that night because that couple wouldn't have been able to leave the guest house. I think like there's, like think of like the guest house is like hell and the grounds as a whole are purgatory <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and like you have to you know like if you're in the guest house you can't even get to purgatory <laughs> once you're in purgatory i don't know this is not a perfect <laughs> analogy <laughs> you know does that make sense though it it does a bit i guess um i don't know i just feel like the dynamic so so when you are visiting the guest house, there's this whole dynamic of only one can be in there at a time. 
and one sees the perfect version of the other inside. Well, by the end of the movie, I felt like, is that truly what's going on? Or are they just running and hiding because they think this is the best illusion to break them up? Well, there, there's also the scene where, um, you know, because, because, um, um, uh, whatchamacallums, uh, doppelganger Sophie has made bacon for Ethan. Ethan runs out, grabs real life Sophie, brings her into the house, and is like, you can't get the smell of bacon out that fast, like, which is true. I mean, if somebody cooks bacon, it's, it's, it's like the same thing as cooking fish, except mm-hmm. not as disgusting. Uh, <laughs> it, like, the, the house will, like, if somebody, if somebody makes, like, bacon popcorn, the house will smell like bacon <laughs> for, like, the next three days. So, there, there, I think that there literally is a, if both people enter the house at the same time, not, neither of the doppelgangers can appear. If only one does the the opposite of the the you know, the male to the female the female to the male like whoever is supposed to be the coupling uh, doppelganger will appear so i think that there literally is some sort of manifestation of those people um, which is why i think it's a, a magic thing not a sci-fi thing i i guess so but then okay so some things do remain the same like when when real ethan forces real sophie to let him in after she and fake ethan have been on the bed he is looking for fake ethan and there's like sheets that are actually ruffled as if he were there the trace of him hasn't vanished in this scenario yeah well the the problem there is that the connection has already like been severed enough plus he leaves the door open so there, like i think that there's this there's this magic aspect to like the whole reason so, so the actual change happens when the seal of the door is broken or sealed. Um, so the time that Ethan is able to sneak in um, and pretend that he is doppelganger Ethan and then sleep with his real-life wife, um, in that moment, as soon as he sees her door open, he opens his door because it's not locked because she hasn't sealed it and changed the atmosphere to be the one where the other person is there. Um, and then he's able to get in because they're both entering at the same time. It's the same as if they walked in the same door. So the real magic happens once that door is sealed. So once everything starts to break, then those worlds start to blend together. Um, and in that moment, she was already in there. She had already manifested Ethan. And when he breaks in, you know, Ethan could have booked it. He could have been dematerialized. Something happened, but that, that he is now present in the space she had manifested previously. Does that make sense? Yeah, I I guess so. <laughs> I, I'm I'm really trying to avoid this whole episode being me lobbing questions to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, okay, well, let, let me let me go back to my progression through the film and why I really loved it. So obviously as I said, I knew zero about this film. Uh, I actually saw the poster for this film uh a, you know a lot while back on the Apple trailer page and it was one of those days like sometimes I go through and I'll watch like every trailer that's I haven't seen yet. And sometimes I'll just pick and choose like what sounds interesting. And like just the cover, it looked like it was going to be like one of those wannabe artsy romantic comedies that might not perfectly fit in my wheelhouse, so I kind of just passed over it and didn't watch it, which turned out to be a great thing for me like you know, miraculously, I did not see the trailer, even though my mouse was hovering over the poster for it, and I almost watched it a long time ago. So anyways, I'm watching this film, and I don't really know anything about it. So the film starts off, and, you know, we get the normal dialogue that you'd get in any sort of artsy romantic comedy, where it's a character talking about um, some event from the early days of their relationship. And then, boof, we're actually in a therapy thing, and he's talking about not the real event that happened, but 
the event he tried to recreate in order to help spice up the relationship again and how it failed and didn't work. So we could see the, the beginning of this therapy session. And for me, I began to re read this therapy session as actually Sophie being the one who's sort of not keen on keeping the relation. Like she kind of is looking at, um, she is sort of looking at it, it, like from that therapy session, it feels like Ethan is trying and Sophie is not. Um, at that point in time, we don't know that the whole root of the problem in their relationship is that he has cheated on her and that's why she is upset with him. It just seems like she's kind of like naggy wife, maybe not like, like she seems like the love is lost from her side, but he's still in it. That That's the kind of impression that I got from that first scene. So I'm like mm -hmm. watching the film from that standpoint. Um, you know, I still don't know anything's supposed to be weird in this film, so I'm just watching it. And then once the weird stuff starts to happen, it's like, okay, that's the first, like, mini, like, pluck of the strings of, like, oh, okay, I'm extra intrigued now because something weird is happening. Um, and, you know, you talked about how um, your, your description of, the, like, Ethan's ideal version of of uh, Sophie is this, like, Stepford wifey kind of person and that Sophie's ideal version of Ethan is um how did you describe it a fully formed character yeah like a, a version of him that's a little more self-aware and a little more open about his flaws and the things that he likes in her yeah yeah so so i read it i read the, the those ideas a little bit different so what i viewed is that sophie is 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 seeing in in doppelganger ethan this um it's all the things she wishes ethan was so not just like a a fully formed character, but literally like, oh, I have this problem with Ethan. So like, you know, the doppelganger Ethan is, you know, artistic and he exercises more because I think my husband should be exercising more. And, you know, he doesn't wear his glasses because I don't really like the glasses. His hair is more like stylish because he's like a cool guy. And it's all these like superficial things that that really um, that like Ethan it's not like Ethan can just go like, oh, yeah, I'll take out the trash more. Like, there are, there are all these, like, sh she's basically trying to improve him. Like, I I, I mm -hmm. viewed Ethan as more the Step Stepford husband type thing. Like, he, he is, like, this ideal version that is non-realistic and, and very much, um, uh, basically, these are all the things I don't like about you. And my version of Ethan is now better in all these ways. But then when I look at how Ethan imagines Sophie... I didn't see it as being a Stepford wife. I saw it as being Sophie, but she allows him to eat bacon and allows him like the things that she does to the things that he has to give up to kind of like be okay for her that she's just less like stringent on that kind of stuff. Like she's, she's sort of like, Oh yeah, I don't care if you eat bacon. Like that's totally fine. And I think the more, stilted stuff that you're getting from her character Stephen. to me i read that as um so the next basically the next thing I, I i got caught into in the story is that like ethan is only concerned with testing the reality he's being presented with so the stilted conversation is not coming from the fact that like uh doppelganger sophie is not a real full-fledged person it's simply that like he's not interested in interacting with her he's interested simply in challenging her so the stilted conversation comes from his inability to just enjoy conversation with her and him constantly trying to like figure out the truth behind what's happening and like say the thing that's going to make her give up like he's trying to find her tell 
Um, and Sophie, on the other hand, is just trying to live out this fantasy. Like she is like, she's the one who's like when Ethan tries to sneak back into the guest house, it's because he's trying to, to, you know, hide a cell phone or, or figure out what's going on. When Sophie does it, it's because she's trying to escape from reality into this fantasy and really enjoy that. That That's why she's erring on the side of like falling in love with a uh, doppelganger, Ethan, while Ethan is, <laughs> he's only interested in trying to f- like prove that doppelganger Sophie doesn't actually exist. Um, oh, right. And I, I, I can see that. But at the same time, I think, I think doppelganger Ethan, while he is, of course, he's very different is what you're saying. Like she has all these things that couldn't actually be changed about the real Ethan that she wants to see. Whereas the real Ethan has only like little superficial things (laughs) that he, uh, that he would maybe prefer about Sophie. Yeah. Um, But I still think in terms of the characters, the doppelganger Ethan, he isn't only a like greatest hits remix of all the things that a girl might want in a guy. He also has like very, particular charms like he you know he has his jokes and he asks her like why aren't you kissing me anymore and i i don't know i i felt like he was definitely a fully realized character whereas the doppelganger sophie for most of the film it isn't only because he's asking her questions and she's like just grinning and shrugging it off it's like her whole dynamic with him is just a hey yeah, well, you can go if you want. I'm going to stay. It felt much more like just a person in a person who's like afraid of a beatdown almost like in, well, see, in a very strained, weird relationship. No, I, I was just going to say I took that as how you said where Mark Duplass is trying the real Ethan is trying to figure out, you know, what the hell is going on? Like, how do how do these how does this like weird fantasy world work? You know, what are the rules? And I I kind of took that as her not just being sort of submissive and everything, but just, you know, I can't tell you what's going on. Like, I I can't go outside because I can't, you know, the rules within the world at this point in time don't allow me to or whatever. Which, by the way, okay, so now let me jump to the more (laughs) concerning place. Um, At the end of the film or towards the end of the film, Ethan gets locked in the guest house and fake Sophie says, you need me to let you out. Like this is how he can get out despite his relationship being weak. Yeah. Why does the inverse not hold? Why couldn't great Ethan say like, oh, do you want to walk out with me? And then leave. If like the, the character that is free can bring the not free character with them. I would say <laughs> <laughs> because that seems like that would be the uh, the easiest way to get out of purgatory and well, once all characters have done this then you just book it <laughs> well at, at but she also she doesn't say all right <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure uh, out the best way to form this ba- okay basically there there it's not like um the way I view it is it, it's it's a, a sliding scale of connection, basically. It's so it's not just a, okay, this flip, like these people currently hold the key and these people don't hold the key. It, it's like a, as your connection breaks, you lose the ability to um, do that. Like at, at that point in the film, um, 
Eth- uh, doppelganger Ethan hadn't fully committed to trying to leave with uh, real life Sophie. So there, at that point in time, there was three people who had the ability to come and go freely, um, at least from the guest house. Uh, once they kind of more hard and fast broke that connection, then it would that the power would completely transform to being just two and two. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like, like I totally get what you're saying. That's why it took me so long to form the idea. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think it's, yeah, it, it's coming from a character who was previously locked in, um, but had then been set free. And I, I don't know how to explain it exactly. <laughs> uh, okay. I won't, I won't push it as long as you don't claim to have some like, amazing answer <laughs> no yeah, yeah like I, I i think i think it's I, I i see the problem you have with it i don't f- fully have a problem with it myself i just can't explain why i don't have a problem with it <laughs> mm-hmm. does that sound fair yeah yeah i, I guess that's fair <laughs> all right um uh let's see forget where exactly i was in the progression of how things happened but but i think my my real joy in this film is just the pieces that we get like as i as i said i i see the opening of the film to be that sophie is the problem with the relationship and that ethan's really trying and sophie's not trying and then as it progresses we get the bombs dropped that like oh ethan is the one that screwed the relationship up um and that kind of like that feeds back into like you know cuz sophie goes in the house or Sophie's in the guest house and and sleeps with doppelganger Ethan, like, right at the beginning of the film. And real life, Ethan never seems to have that big of a problem with it, um, which is weird because you would expect him to be like, oh, I'm totally against the fact that you just, like, bang this dude that looks like me. Um, but then, like, once you find out that, like, he's really trying to figure out, like, he at that point, he doesn't see them as two different people. He sees, like, some weird, he doesn't know what's going on. But I don't know, there, there, there's some there's some interesting thing to the fact that like watching the film again, knowing that he cheated on her with who who knows who it was, um, it kind of like kind of peppers my view of his reactions to the events that are taking place in the film and like gives new light to it in a way that um, was still interesting the first time through. But like. The first time through, you're like, oh, this is just quirky and they're experiencing something weird. So his reaction seemed just in line with the weirdness of it. But I think going back through and seeing like seeing the conversations in the therapy where um, he's saying lines like, uh, you know, I just want you, I just wish you could forgive me and things like that. But the first time you view it, you're kind of just hearing that as like maybe he is kind of mean to her sometimes and stuff like that. Like you don't you don't it doesn't immediately scream that he cheated on her. Um, just that maybe he was a bad husband and then as yeah. you move through the film it like flavors everything that's already happened before it and each little piece of information as the story gets more complex like first you're like okay it's the weird fantasy for her it's the it's the less stringent wife for him and then you realize that those people actually exist like they're they're actual people it's not just some illusion or some magic cavern they're going into where um yeah, there's, there's, there's no thing like that that's going on. It's like there's actual physical people. And then you start to sprinkle in ideas of the restrictions of who can move where. Um, 
and then you get like the bomb when they're both out because you know for for the first part of the film like you think like oh well they can only even be manifested when one person enters the guest house once they come back in the house in that middle of that argument and they're both present in the same world then that like throws everything on on its head again like there's just i think this film it's just so intriguing the way it just layers in more and more details as it goes in and with every single drop every single new piece of information it 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 just makes the tension uh build more and more and um i don't know there's there's something i thought was masterfully done about the way it layers everything in and the way it makes you question everything everything before it question the motives of the people question how real certain aspects of the environment are um I don't know. It, it's 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 hard for me to explain this film without letting you be in my consciousness as I'm watching it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can I can buy that. So, okay, other other question. Um, Ted Danson is you know the third build person in this. Yeah, because there's no other humans in the movie. <laughs> um, there Pretty were probably some people in the diner I didn't notice. Yeah. Um, anyway, do you think the movie wants there to be any motivation for why or how he does this? <laughs> like, like I know you're saying like the perfect couple leaves, but you can't. I, I don't feel like there's any any point in the story which would imply that somehow by being trapped and then being forced to imitate some other perfect couple, you would leave with a happily ever after scenario that would make the therapist look better. Uh, I don't. I, I really don't feel like there's any reason that that should be the case. Like, is he just a weird guy and this is just the thing he does to people? I think the, I think the motivations for why Ted Danson is involved with this, I think that was... I, I'm glad that they left that unsaid. I think that that didn't need to be, you know, explained. Because there is, I mean, I still think that throughout the film, even when they're explaining, you know, when we get these different layers and the rules are starting to come into play and stuff and, you know, we get like little bits of information, I still think there's this mysterious quality going on because you don't exactly know what it all adds up to, you know. And I think that when they do reveal certain aspects, um, you know, it's not done in a very... Uh, you know, algorithms type of way where we're going to just like turn to the camera and explain it all to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was, I was basically, I was just, I was happy that they didn't really explain Ted Danson's role in all of it. Yeah. You know, t- I'm, I, I'm fine with that not being explained. I just feel like world building schnazy might have mm. an idea behind it. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was fine with it not being explained. Um, And part of that relates to the fact that I see this as fantasy, not sci-fi. And mm-hmm. so I'm I'm gonna spoil a video game for people. Um, so if Ted you're listening, Danson to this game, is a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not what I was gonna say. Um, but for for people listening to this, if you uh, if by some chance you're currently in the middle of this game called Catherine, um, then uh, I'm about to spoil that game for you. If you think you'll ever play this game in the future, sorry, I'm gonna spoil this game for you. Uh, but there's this game called Catherine, right? And the story is you're you're like this dude. Um, just hanging out, like basically kind of a lazy guy. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have this girlfriend who is like trying to pressure you to get married and stuff like that. And, um, 
you basically just hang out at the bar and drink with your buddies. Well, uh, one day you go to sleep and when you wake up, there's like this hot blonde in your bed with you and you can't figure out what happened. And now you're bouncing these two chicks. And the, the way the game works is there's some sort of demonic force that is haunting men in their dreams, uh, specifically men who cheat on their girlfriends and or wives. And in the dreams, you are climbing this tower that is constantly collapsing. And there's these things that are trying to get you and uh, you're trying to scale this tower before you get killed. And in the world of this game, if you fail in the dream, you die in real life. And that's how all these men keep keep dying. And so the mystery of the game is you trying to bounce these two girls. Um, you, you don't know that anything's actually happened between you and this blonde. You just know that you woke up and she was in your bed with you. But she is like super aggressive, crazy chick. And then you have your actual girlfriend who's like keeps pressuring you to get married. And um, you're kind of like trying to deal with these two people and meanwhile trying not to die in your dreams because you'll die in real life and what it turns out to be the story of this game made by a french company i think um is that uh the world of man is uh you know really terrible at pairing people into relationships so this demon has come forth to the earth and unleashed this succubus on men who are terrible for the women that they are with and they use this this blonde to seduce the men who are bad for the women they're currently with to break them up so that man can continue to live basically so if 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 women keep dating all these douchebags uh like they will stop procreating and you know it, it'll be bad for all of mankind so the demon has come forth to to cause these relationships to break up um it's possible that having played this game and really enjoyed it and liked the lore of this game, that it might have flavored my view of like the Ted Danson character. But to me, the story is all about, um, you know, like I'm, you know, I'm a pretty cynical person. I don't really believe in uh, the whole like one person for one other. Like I don't believe in soulmates and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think that combinations of couples are really just how compatible they are. And I think that in this film you get like two couples who are some level compatible with each other thrown into a situation in which the most compatible outcome of that pairing gets to leave this house. And I think that Ted Danson is just the keeper of this piece of land. Either he was, uh, you know, given this power by something or he manifested it himself or he's not a real person. Like, I don't care what it is. He just happens to be the thing that gets people to go here so that two people can leave and two people can get stuck there yeah mm -hmm. makes sense yeah, yeah he's he's sort of like uh it's like his family owned this plot of land and it's sort of been passed down from generation to generation and he's yeah. just the guy who has to you know get couples to come here to feed the demon wizard whatever that's you know <laughs> plaguing the plot of land that his family has owned who knows yeah but yeah yes yeah, said, said without all the laughter but yes <laughs> yes yes does that make sense yeah i'm i'm good i'm cool with it okay that um, sounds like an awesome game though by the way i would oh, love to see that as a movie it, it is it is amazing um yeah it's side you know tangent and and, it, and it's really it's it's one of those story based games where every decision you make, uh, you know, bounces towards the good and to the bad, 
And uh, one of the things that's really interesting is in between each of the stages before you wake up each night, you sit into this confessional booth and this like weird uh, disembodied voice of this demon thing asks you a question and uh, you have the ability to pull the yes or the no lever. And mm. then it pulls up a dial and you can see of all the other people who have played the game, which decision they made. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's like simple, superficial questions like, you know, something about like attractiveness of a possible mate. But sometimes it's questions that are like, uh, what do you think is worse, like an emotional fling or a physical like fling, like stuff like that, where just... I don't know it's it's a very interesting game that I wish would have delved deeper into into what it was trying to do, but um, the puzzle mechanics of it are awesome, and the game is interesting. And based on how you answer those questions, changes like one of twelve or six outcomes of the game. Um, so it's a cool if, game. If I was a gamer and knew how to do stuff like that, I would totally play it. <laughs> But I, I just, I'm not skilled in that arena. Gotcha. Um, let's see. I, I just want to talk about two other scenes before I guess, or I guess we've already talked about the ending ending, but um, two of my favorite or three of my favorite scenes. I don't know. I, I really love, side note, I really love the conversation where Ethan directly says, you are not a real human being to um doppelganger sophie and like just the way she responds to it like just that moment of him like fully trying to challenge everything um i that that scene definitely had me on edge just because i didn't know (laughs) how doppelganger sophie was going to uh, respond to it um (laughs) but what do you guys think about the metaphors in the poker scene and the Basically, the scene where Ethan and Doppelganger Ethan kind of come up against each other, and then the scene where Sophie and Doppelganger Sophie come up against each other when they're like uh, in the kitchen cleaning up. Because uh, I, I I thought it was pretty awesome when uh, you know like so you have the two Sophies meeting in the kitchen, and like you know the Stepford wife's Sophie as as Stephen would say is like, oh, I'll get the dishes. This is cool. And they start talking. And she's like, oh, yeah, there's more wine. Let's let's share this. And they start, like, passing the wine bottle back and forth. And right after, like, doppelganger Sophie drops the bomb of, like, oh, yeah, I totally know you slept with my husband. Um, she, she has this moment where she's like, oh, are you going to give that back, talking about the wine bottle? But, like, clearly the wine bottle is analogous for doppelganger Ethan. Did you guys? Yeah. Did you guys like that moment? I, I like the moment. I like the tension in it. Yeah. I don't think I latched on to wine bottle as metaphor for Ethan too strongly. <laughs> but I mean, the, the scene obviously had, it, it definitely had that subtext, the undercurrent of anger. Um, I, I will say in general, though, I'm not, I'm not sure I understand how all the characters behaved at the dinner party. Uh, it, it, it seemed very bizarre to me. And I'm not, I'm not sure that I understand, like, each one's actions flowing from the premise that was set up. In what, what do you mean? I don't know. The, the, uh, the whole dinner party scene was very... It felt like it existed to up the ante of weirdness, kind of, what you liked about it, that it, it threw on this whole other level. But I'm not... I'm not completely sure I understand the the purpose of those scenes. Except, I guess, getting to see Ethan and his inferiority complex against 
better Ethan, who was clearly <laughs> just a better person. Well, he he definitely gets to to completely dominate him there. Like I think there's there's a similar metaphor with him, like literally beating him in poker, like showing all the cards and being like, yeah, I I, I hold all the cards, and you mm-hmm. have literally nothing, and I'm gonna destroy you if you try to come after me in this in this game called life. Um, mm-hmm. But like in that moment, you're he is continually seducing real life Sophie while turning off uh, Bizarro so- Sophie bizarre mm-hmm. sophie um you know like he's driving her away with being an asshole but like real life sophie is so already under his spell that like she's just like oh my god yeah oh wow you're so smart <laughs> and so yeah, funny that aardvark dialogue yeah wonderful aardvark <laughs> information i actually I, I thought that was a great exchange <laughs> when he's like i'm not an aardvark and i'm not a gorilla <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, good times. I, I I was gonna say that before I made a joke, but I was gonna say I thought that scene was well played uh between the two Ethans. Um but I, I like that whole dialogue where he's explaining like, you know, the gorilla and the aardvark and and then his uh reaction, which you know, you said where he's like, I'm not an aardvark and I'm not a gorilla. Yeah. I thought that was really funny. Steven, are you still not okay with the scene as a whole? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm cool with it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But I don't know if you wanted to talk about the very, very end, which if there was, I mean, there's not really a whole lot to talk about other than I guess is real Ethan content with uh, the fact that doppelganger Sophie uh, left with him. Well, I, I want to ask you guys a question real fast. It, it, it relates to that scene, but before we delve into what we think the character, how the character feels at that moment, um, but before that scene where the reveal of her trying to cook bacon for him happens, um, we get the scene where they go back to Ted Danson's office and there's nothing there, but uh, the keyboard or the the keyboard, the piano, the p- piano, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, I feel that the reveal as may have originally been written was that they both kind of walk around the piano and then both hit a key and, and instead of it being dissonance it's the same like it's in it so they, they work together um mm-hmm. and that that was all the reveal we would have gotten um but maybe they decided maybe the director was like oh that's not going to be enough to sell this let's do something different and then they add that scene at the end with the bacon do you guys mm-hmm. feel like that might be true? And it, w- it would explain why the scene with the piano is there because that, and I'm I'm good with that scene as is because it, you know, it it's nice when a movie leaves some mysterious elements there. Like there's the symbolism of the piano and the, the therapist trying to f- make people who were dissonant be concordant again. Yeah. Um, it, it it's interesting. I hadn't thought that that might have been the planned ending. I, it would have made sense. Though I also wonder who who at this moment didn't already predict with more than 50% certainty that <laughs> he had gone with fake Sophie. Yeah. You know, I, I think what I feel about the film is like it, it was sort of obvious and, and possibly cliche for that to be the way it would work out. But I feel the film earned it mm-hmm. through, the, through the progression of it. Like it's one of those, it's one of those things where like it's like, yeah, of course that's going to be the ending, but 
it totally felt uh, honest to me. It didn't feel like, oh, I'm trying to trick you now. It felt like, yeah. And there you go. Like that. So, that go ahead. I was, I was going to say one thing which a person wiser than myself noticed in the final scene, which you wouldn't have gotten just by playing the two keys together, is that as she calls out and says she's making bacon and you see the long stare at uh, Ethan then when he finally gets up and says okay he first puts on his glasses and shoves them up the rim of his nose which is his tell in poker when he's lying uh which could be hinting that he is not okay with this scenario mm. and he's planning on rectifying the situation that is a possibility i well he does the thing with the glasses a lot during the film in general. Mm. Um, it's more th- like in, in that scene, yeah, it's used as his tell, but it's also a like an affectation or whatever that they use to separate the two Ethans. Like there's even the one scene where um, where uh, the scene starts and you just see the back of Sophie's head and you see Ethan sitting on the stairwell and it looks like um doppelganger ethan um and then sophie says oh should i make mimosas and he looks at her puts the glasses on pushes them up and says no i don't want a mimosa or whatever you know (laughs) like so i think that i i don't know if the push up there is uh completely supposed to be read in that way or if it's just that's him doing the push-up because he always does that push-up yeah i mean i i think you could possibly argue that as a theory but it may have just been that is just a character trait because he was doing it the whole movie it wasn't like just oh the only time he pushed up his glasses was during the poker game yeah and that was you know his tell it, it's possible i mean i i'm, I'm not saying it's guaranteed to be meaningful but it would it would at least make more sense to me because his character at least supposedly 10 minutes earlier has given this long speech about why he doesn't want the perfect sophie he wants his sophie with all of her flaws Uh, and and i can of course understand the message of the movie kind of being like wry at the end and saying well maybe he doesn't really want that I, i can get that but it does seem like it it, it seems like accepting that at the end doesn't flow from anything that we've learned about this character in the in the previous hour and 50 minutes of the movie. But, the, but there's also like the, the how long he sits there thinking about it. If you, if you think that like, yes, he made this grand statement of like, I want you with all of your flaws and all of my flaws. Like, I, we, I want us. I don't want this other version of you. Um he has just spent the last like entire evening completely losing her. And in that moment at the end, after, you know, doppelganger Ethan has flown into the invisible gong, uh, she, the, the real her just looks down at Ethan and chooses to stay behind. So he's not just battling with, he, it's not like they were both tied up and he picked one of them untied her and then ran back. You know, this isn't like a, this isn't uh you know, mission impossible four or whatever, where everybody's got like masks on and you don't know which one's which because supposedly their jaws broken and they can't speak. Um, this this is 
a moment where both people made that decision together. Um, so at that point in time, there's a lot more floating around in his head, I think, than simply like, oh, damn, I got the wrong one. I wonder if I can, like, go back and return this and exchange it. <laughs> you know so, I mean? Okay, so my final question of the movie, which involves the very end, is why does fake Sophie stay and choose to be happy with him? If presumably she was another person who has been trained or turned into the perfect version of who he would love so she could escape, who doesn't have romantic feelings for him throughout the movie, why why is she with him being in love and making bacon now that she's free to do whatever she wants? What? Why does fake? Why, why would her character want to stay and maintain this illusion? Because she she admitted that she still does love the the shittier the the shittier better version of Ethan, <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh, you know it's like in the Matrix when the machines are willing to accept a level of destruction if it means they're, <laughs> they're being allowed to continue with something. Yeah. Um, the love that she could remain with from real Ethan is better than the complete loss of love from doppelganger Ethan. Well, that's fine. <laughs> I'm pretty... The movie seems to suggest that they were not... These personalities that we're seeing are not the two people who entered. They're morphed into these personalities. So the person that she loves, she as the member of a couple who went to therapist Ted Danson and went to the guest house and got trapped. She has not been in love with someone who is basically Ethan, but different. I like, I'm pretty sure the scene where you hear, you hear the audio recording of their voices changing as they try to turn into these other people. Yeah. Would suggest that that, that illusion isn't the person that she's in love with. Uh, so I'm not sure that someone who resembles that illusion would be someone that she's happy with. And 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 I agree I agree with that, but she so in every in every relationship there is uh there is, you know, love goes both ways, right? So in mm. this new coupling she doesn't have that same love for the real life Ethan that she had for the doppelganger Ethan. However, if Ethan never finds out, she is receiving that love from him. So at the very least, the thing that she wants, which is genuine love from another person, can exist. She just has to learn to build that love for him. Does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that this is the. This is like the definitive thing. I'm just saying that it's like we we don't see how that progresses after that, right? But mm-hmm. I, I think that on some level, everyone does have a longing to be loved by another. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, I think that's a pretty universal thing that we can all agree on. Um, yeah. So to me. She's getting 50% of, of 
the thing. Like you, you can only you can only exist for so long, loving outwardly and never receiving it back. So mm-hmm. what she's done is sacrifice the loving outwardly but not receiving it for loving inwardly and not yet having it outwardly. Yeah. So I. I don't have a problem with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I rescind my problem. I'm I'm cool with it. I, it. That just goes back to me not fully understanding the motivation of doppelganger Sophie and doppelganger Ethan, which I would have been fine not understanding their motivations until the film gave me them as people with motivations. Yeah, gotcha. And so- that, that's kind of why all of a sudden I had much more trouble reconciling why they behave the way that they do yeah and and i think i think the thing that sort of bothers you is the thing that i enjoy so much about the film like the fact that every time i think i have everything figured out and i i have as much information as i need to to understand the characters i get a new piece that calls into question everything i've decided to be true up until that moment and it's happening so often that I just, I, it doesn't feel like a twist that comes in to, uh, to throw everything in question and make me go like, Oh, you got me with the twist. It feels like a genuine, like, no, like I'm literally bringing my presuppositions into every moment of this film and it's, and it's expecting me to, and it's letting me do that. And then it's saying like, Oh yeah, well you inserted yourself into these roles and thought you had it all figured out, but now maybe you feel differently about these people and who's, bringing in the root of the problem or what each of them loves about the fantasy versus the reality. Um, and all on the way, it's constantly shifting and constantly making me want to reinterpret the actions of each person in the group. Yeah. And I, I like that about the film. It's just a, there's a part of me that thinks that it's easier to, continually surprise and provoke new questions than it is to make something that if not answers those questions at least wraps them up in a in a more cohesive theme yeah and and maybe to me that's just the the thing that makes this one notch below a like being john malkovich or a synecdoche new york or one of these things is that it felt like it it hit all those beats and made it very very interesting to watch and consistently like subverted your expectations and threw in something new yeah but it i wasn't convinced that it was throwing in new things because it had some idea of what it wanted to be like the aha moments were more like ha huh, moments <laughs> which, yeah. are still, which are still cool <laughs> <laughs> it's just um it's just not quite it's not quite the same i yeah. i would agree with steven on that in in terms of it not being to the level of of something like that i mean i i, I kind of got that feeling too but I, I don't think it took away from my enjoyment of the film yeah no not i, mean, at I still all. think it's a fully realized and uh very unique world and you know execution yeah, this and this, like I enjoyed the hell out of this movie. Um, yeah, this is only about among the things that I enjoy the hell of out of. What do I think could have been done better? And also, do I think like if I already take for granted that I had a great time with it, then I feel like the kind of movies that last with me longer 
are going to be the ones where I feel some complete, if not complete narrative, at least like a a complete idea that they're getting across. Yeah. That can stick with me. And in this case, I feel like the film is all about the experience of discovering things. And once you've discovered it, you can imagine yourself in that situation and get stuff out of it. But it isn't, it's not quite the whole package being yeah. thrown at you. So I totally feel the same way as, as you're saying. And I think for me, if any of the information about how the world worked, came from Ted Danson's character instead of people who had previously been trapped in the house, I, it, it would bother me. But because we're experiencing it, we're, we're basically learning about the information the same way that the characters in, in both sides of what's happening probably learned about it themselves. Um, it, it feels like anything that's incomplete is incomplete because we just don't know it's like it's like exploring a cave like yes the writer can know what's behind each passageway but no character will know because they're exploring an unexplored cave like there's no there's no reason why these characters should have knowledge deeper than what we see them express because everything that we're seeing is experiential to them um if there was like a inception Cobb character who's like the best at knowing what how this world works and he's going around constantly explaining all the rules, there would be a problem. But what we're seeing is people explain just enough rules to explain for the characters who are experiencing the consequence of those rules. And yeah, something like that. <laughs> I don't know, I lost it. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> I think we're uh i think we've done this movie justice <laughs> <laughs> well i was gonna i was just gonna say that uh the ending you know i don't know steven's steven's theory that he brought up about like the pushing up of the glasses i mean that could potentially be argued i guess as a theory but i mean me personally i didn't i just took it as that he was I guess accepting of what happened because there's such a long beat uh when he sits up in bed and sort of just like takes it all in. Yeah. That I don't know, I took that as him just sort of being accepting of it, but Well see see for me the way I would totally buy into that theory is if is if the scene was a little bit longer. He comes out like she's like making big or if he sits down at the table and she sets the bacon down in front of him, but he would have already smelled it, so it wouldn't technically make sense. But let's just say that she's like, oh, bacon. He comes down, sits down. They sit down together. Um, she looks over him and says, I love you. And then he pushes the glasses up and says, I love you too. Mm -hmm. um, if we get the recognition that it's not her, followed by the the um, him reciprocating love after giving his tell then I think it would lend more weight to it. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that, I mean, and who knows, but I think what they were, I don't think that's what they were going for. But I mean, because yeah, yeah. like, like you said, the ending really isn't sort of a like gotcha twist. It's just because you mean you do see it coming. I mean, the fact that like that shot of both Sophie's standing next to each other, I mean, you kind of know, well, you kind of know right when she says like, oh, I have like an exact 
same shirt for you to wear like have an extra <laughs> pair you know an extra yeah, yeah. it's like well you kind of can start you know the wheels are turning and you're like well this is gonna be you know this is gonna end up badly possibly I, uh, I, but, I do but, I do love though his, his look on his face when he's trying to choose between the two of them he's <laughs> yeah. all I think this one <laughs> right I mean but that shot where you know it's them standing next to each other I mean you know right there for sure it's just like oh man like he's definitely gonna choose the other one yeah yeah all right well <laughs> As Steven said, we probably uh, have done this movie justice or a severe injustice. (laughs) (laughs) But at this point, anyone listening should have watched the movie already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They should not have listened to this. I know that I rambled incoherently through the last hour and a half. (laughs) But uh, it's just because I really love the movie, so. Sorry. (laughs) And I know that I took pot shots at it and it's only because i'm trying to have some some valid criticism of, <laughs> of something it makes me feel like a bigger person <laughs> and what's your excuse carson <laughs> well my only i was gonna say my minor quibble with the movie but it's so minor i mean it was basically there were a couple scenes in the beginning that looked like they were just like way too dark and i don't know if that was like i don't know if like it felt like a conscious choice to shoot it that way but it came off looking like oh you have bad lighting but that's just that was you know well, well the, the same thing that that interfered with the microphone in his iphone uh also interfered with the lighting rigs <laughs> <laughs> all right well yeah that was just a, a super minor quibble other than that i thought the movie looked great i mean you know cinematography wise yeah all right well uh i think that will be the end of this uh review then we've already given it must-sees around the board and uh yeah so let's just skip right to our goodbyes carson if people want to find you throughout the week where can they do that uh well you can go to practicalcandy.wordpress.com steven you can find me at twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com People can find me at ChristopherInRealLife.com or Twitter.com slash ChristopherIRL. You can find the podcast at TheSpoilerWarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. You can follow us at Twitter.com slash SpoilerWarning or like us at Facebook.com slash TheSpoilerWarning if you want to know when the new episodes go live. If you want to contact us, you can send an email to fans at TheSpoilerWarning.com. You can use the contact form on our website or you can leave us a voicemail at 760-575-4TSW. That's 760-575-4879. Music for this episode will come from one of the tracks that was used in the film because there doesn't appear to be an actual soundtrack, but IMDb has a list of songs. <laughs> so it's one of those songs. So hope you enjoyed that. The the score in this movie was actually, I also really enjoyed. It just had a kind of very like ethereal fantasy-like score. Yeah, it did a, it did a good job of adding that kind of I, I've been looking for the right adjective, like zany mixed with not dark, but yeah, like eerily funny. I, I don't know. Yeah, it did yeah. a good job of capturing that. There was definitely a, a, several moments where there was like a like a genuine quirk to it. Like it was, yeah, it was just it was it was it was not. It was like humorously. It was a blend of humor and off-puttingness. Yeah, sort <laughs> of uh, 
uh, oh gosh, the word just escaped me. Never mind, forget I said anything. Yeah, it was basically, I'm giggling, <laughs> but I'm also a little scared. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right, well, thank you guys for listening. Sorry it was so long. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we will uh, see you guys next time. Bye. <laughs> Later. Let me think of an example for you, something kind of up your alley. Um, let's say you buy a gorilla. Excuse me? Let's say you buy a gorilla, Ethan. You can't buy a gorilla. I know that. It was for the story, but fine. Let's say you buy an aardvark, okay? You take that aardvark, you put him in a dark room. A minute later, you flip that switch, the lights come on. Now, we all know how electricity works, but for him, it's a miracle. Magic happened. That previously dark room is now illuminated with possibilities he's never seen before. And what does he do? Does he ruin it by questioning how or why? No. He enjoys it. <sighs> well, I'm not an aardvark. And I am not a gorilla. <laughs>